The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thank you, Sarah. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan in today for Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, another hotter than expected inflation read, and it's putting the market's five-day win streak in a bit of jeopardy. All of this as we gear up for a critical week ahead of four-year money with NVIDIA earnings on deck. That's going to be a big one. Our investment committee standing by to break down what's at stake. Joining me for the hour is Joe Terranova, Shannon Sakosha, and Bill Baruch. And everybody is here with me today, which is a lovely treat. Let's get a quick check on the markets as we're sitting just about here at highs. The Dow Jones Industrial Average just a hair to the negative side. The S&P 500 has turned slightly positive and the Nasdaq is the laggard but down by only a little more than one-tenth of a percent. Let's take a quick look and see where the 10-year yield is. Of course, interest rates in very particular focus after, again, that report that we got today from the PPI coming in hotter than expected after that hotter than expected CPI report as well. And we're going to watch very carefully that 10-year yield as well as the entire interest rate complex. And then if we look at the sectors, materials appear to be leading the way here today. Communication services are the laggards along with real estate and utilities, which obviously makes an awful lot of sense there. I mean, what a day that we've had today, um, Joe, kind of capping off this week. And we looked at this PPI that came in hotter than expected, the CPI hotter than expected, and it really kind of threw the markets into a tailspin for that day. And then we kind of shook it off and we said, nah, maybe it's a January effect. Retail sales came in. They were kind of weak. Yeah, maybe that's also seasonality. It's January. But now it's PPI. This is three in a row. Does this give us a little bit of worry that inflation maybe isn't under control? No, I don't think that is a reason to be worried. I think we learned from Tuesday's response to CPI, uh, which you had the recovery on Wednesday. Today, the recovery is happening a lot faster uh, from PPI. I think markets are still focused in understanding that we have growth in the economy. We have very strong growth. We have distinctive growth relative to the rest of the world. Um, and a lot of the conversations that I had yesterday, a lot of capital came into U.S. markets from Middle East funds, from European funds, in particular when they were observing the deceleration in economic growth in the U.K. and Japan. So it's about growth. Um, inflation is not is not the problem. Did inflation disappoint the expectation this week? Yes. But overall, the disinflationary trend is still in place. And I thought the 11 a.m. hours interview um, with Atlanta Fed President uh, Rafael Bostic was really, really excellent because he really addressed the concern that the market has yep. right now. And the concern is surrounding liquidity in the balance sheet. Yep. And the reverse repo facility is 
beginning to wind down. The usage was at $2.2 trillion in December of 2022. Now it's $500 billion. So you worry about draining the liquidity at a time when the Federal Reserve is doing the same. I think there's flexibility on the part of the Federal Reserve from what I heard from uh, Fed Governor Bostic that in fact the Fed realizes that. And then I think at some point, not only do we get rate cuts, but we get a pairing back in the amount of securities that are rolling off the Fed's balance sheet. You bring up a good point, and just in case our viewers did not see that interview, we actually do have a soundbite here from Fed President Bostic. If we can go ahead and pull that up. I think we've seen a lot of progress in terms of inflation. I am expecting that through the course of 2024, it'll be a little bumpy. I think the trend will continue, but the path all the way to 2%, I don't think we're going to get to that number immediately. So these sorts of numbers, they're kind of okay, and I can live with it. And to me, it just says, we just have to be patient, and let's not get too far ahead in assuming that the job is done, because there's still work to do. Very interesting interview. Shannon, what do you make of that? You were nodding a lot during while he was speaking, and Joe, so it seems like you're on board. Well, I think the, the, the challenge here is that you're right. There's a lot in the data, particularly from the CPI report, that can be attributed to seasonality. Um, the other thing is that going in, in November and December, the gains that we saw in the equity market were really based on the fact that investors thought we were going to get the both, best of both worlds. We were going to get six to seven rate cuts, and we were going to get really strong economic growth. And there, there are ramifications to economic growth that we're seeing in the data today. However, the Fed has been very consistent in talking about the road to 2% being bumped and the fact that they didn't expect it to be the straight line. The other thing to think about is that we're not seeing as much pressure on middle income and higher income households, and that's really what would upset the economic growth story for 2024. So I think when, when they talk about being patient, this is consistent with Powell's comments about getting greater confidence. He wanted to make it clear, as did Bostic today, that the numbers that we're seeing don't upset the narrative for them. They just want to see more of them. Them, which is why you've seen the probabilities for rate cuts go out from March to May and now to June. That, that's actually consistent with what we were thinking at MB Private Wealth in terms of expectations for this year. The challenge that that creates is that if you look at the opportunity for additional margin expansion, if you think about some of the places where we've seen significant multiple expansion and and you look at the opportunities for this broadening out i think that's where you're seeing a little bit of discomfort if you will what are we, you know where is the money going over the course of the last few weeks it's going back into the names that performed really well in 2023 those multiples are continuing to expand and so if you look at whether it's a risk on day or a risk off day those are the the dynamics underlying the market that many of us are looking for to feel confident that this rally can continue but a misstep just relating to where we are from a multiple perspective it's not out of the cards i think it's more important though to look at this in terms of where do we end up at the end of the year. Our view is that we end up with lower Fed funds rate, that there is easing of borrowing costs, and that that will be positive for the economy at large. Bill, as we look at the market action today, I mean, clearly ticking up. We're at session highs today. I don't know if that had exactly to do with uh, what Fed President Bostic was saying or just sort of the general sentiment that maybe we shouldn't be as worried as we were when we first saw those numbers. Now that we've had time to digest it, what do you make of today's action? 
Yes, see, as everybody's reiterated here, CPI was digested very, very quickly. Um, I, I think the Fed sort of has a decision that I still think May is on the table, and I, and I don't mm. think this disrupts it. Um, there's, the odds are still you know, one-third of a chance that they do cut in May. Uh, shelter was a concern there. Uh, you look at new home sales today, uh, it was a big miss in, in the data. Uh, I think that's something there. I think yesterday the market was able to actually react very positively when Fed Chair, or not Fed Chair, but uh, Fed Governor Waller, who's known to be very hawkish, didn't really push back on, mm. on pushing rate cuts out further. And, and no comments actually went a long way in helping lift the market. The other thing here, as you started to talk about too, is leadership. There, there is really good leadership, not just in AI, but today's PPI data from a producer price standpoint, you're seeing construction. Uh, costs, they, they are starting to trough. And so this is really good news for the industrial companies like a Caterpillar and United Rentals. Um, so there, I, I think the, the market, everybody's really focused on AI, but I think the leadership starting to broaden out just just slight bit enough that where you're able to get the market to rebound like that, like it did from a CPI number that it happened. That's a good point. I mean, Bank of America's Michael Hardin actually notes today that material funds, largest inflow since April of 2022. Uh, tech funds, though, of course, still very strong. Sixth straight week of in flows. Joe, if you're going to put money to work in this market after you've heard about the data this week, does anything really change for you? Um, no, I thought you were going to ask me where I'm putting putting the money to work because I obviously have a, a, sure. a, an active ETF yes. strategy. So, so yeah, that's where my money is going right now. Um, I, I, I think that does anything change? No. When you're looking at the totality of 2024, I don't think anything changes. Would I be surprised to see the market over the next several weeks correct some of the technically overbought conditions? Absolutely not. And certainly with that big earnings report coming next week, what's that company again, Bill? <laughs> I can't a little, little company named NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Okay, yeah. the star <laughs> of 2023. Um, the expectations are incredibly high, and I think the market will respond uh, in fact, to, to how those results are reported, but more importantly, what's the response to the results themselves? Because the results from NVIDIA could be spectacular and the stock could go down, or the results could be tepid and there could be the buy the dip mentality. So I think a lot hinges on that report next week. Overall, long-term bullish, near-term, wouldn't be surprised if we work off some technically overbought conditions. Can I add something to what um, Bill said earlier? So I think we're talking about leadership, and one of the debates that we've continued to have on this program and across, you know, across the network over the last few weeks is whether the whether the um, markets are broadening out or not. And I think one of the things when you see when you see those risk-on days, you're actually seeing some broadening out outside of U.S. large caps, outside of mega caps. So I think we're continuing to see that concentration in terms of performance in those top five stocks. I think that, you know, when we're looking for broadening out, I think when people are looking to add some additional exposure, they're not looking at sort of those other sectors, but we're starting to see some indications that we are. There's also this big debate about whether cash on the sidelines is going to come back in. Yes. It, you know, we, we think that that's going to be a driver, but if rates stay high, if we're still anchored in the short end of the curve where we are today and that, that persists through June, that might be delayed until the second half of the year. And so we could see this concentration persist. Huh. You know, and Barclays basically saying cash staying put for now. 
Which Bill, is ridiculous. You given, think? It's ridiculous given the earnings that are being reported from technology companies, the earnings that are being reported from the S&P, the growth that we have present in the market, the acknowledgement that the Federal Reserve is no longer adversarial and a disinflationary trend. If you're parked in cash and you're seeing what risk assets are doing, what are you waiting for? Well, I, what else, always, what else are you expecting? They always wait, though. Not one rate cut, <coughs> actually two, until you start to see that yeah. movement of cash. Yeah. I, I do believe that cash is insured be coming off the sidelines. It doesn't necessarily happen, have to happen today and ahead of NVIDIA earnings. And, and I do think the market could take a breather. I'm calling it leveling out a little bit after NVIDIA earnings. I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but there's, there's a heavy call skew, so a lot of speculation in NVIDIA. When you see something like that, a lot of call options being purchased into to earnings, similar to reaction I'd expect that we happened in NVIDIA in August. We go through a little bit of a seasonally slump in the back half of February and, and sort of track through the spring maybe. But I think cash will come back into the market as... I, I don't expect yields to hang up here. I think 4.3, maybe 4.4, the 10-year is, is about high, as high as it can get. You're seeing two-year yields continue to slug higher a little bit. And that's going to continue to keep maybe cash in the money market. But I see that unwinding as we get into the summer. And guess what? The stock market is at record highs. And when people see the stock market just sitting and consolidating out of record highs, they're going to want to participate. Let's not forget we're in, a, we're in an election season. There's a lot of tremendous, really bullish tailwinds here. And let record highs typically read to further record highs record highs. Go ahead, Joe. No, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with that. But, but you don't I, think but that the market should, should be looking for a catalyst. You think you, I this, think this I, is it. The Get in now. The fu- well, no, but the fundamental catalysts are already in place. Right. So you're saying, so why if, are you sitting you, in cash? Well, no, no, no. If you're sitting in cash right now and you're saying to yourself, the S&P <laughs> is at 50-30, is this the spot that I'm going to buy the S&P? You have to understand that you might endure a technical correction along the way because the market is overdue for a technical correction. Over the totality of the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, I see reshoring, onshoring, uh, the positive effects, advancing the innovation surrounding generative AI. I see those as positive catalysts for the U.S. economy and a Federal Reserve ultimately that steps back. But if you're putting capital into the market today, you have to understand the road is not you know, without some bumps along the way and not without volatility and not without a correction that hasn't unfolded yet. You just have to be aware of that. Okay. Financials now just turning positive here on the session, so just about flat, but hitting a 52-week high. Shannon, when you're looking at, at, at financials, as we're debating interest rates, obviously so sensitive to this area, is this a, a place you want to play? If you had cash, would you put in financials? <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. So we've really been looking for, if you think about this rotation in leadership, and you think about um, all of the quote-unquote sort of value money that sits out there and is waiting for a home. Um, Financials, leadership, I mean, Joe, how many years have we been waiting for financials to be leaders? Um, I feel like we've been talking about that for a long time. What's interesting about this is that if you look at the outlooks from the big banks, you know, the second half of the year was really where they expected to see some lift from an NII perspective. And you also have seen some of this regional banking softness uh, as it relates to some of the concerns about their, their balance sheets. And so it's interesting to me to see financials performing well, just given the fact that coming out of earnings season and coming out of what's happened over the course of the last several weeks in terms of rate concerns, that you know that there should be maybe some more um, caution, if you will, around financials. But I think this is, again, indicative of what we're talking about. If you think about this broadening of the market, if you think about coming out of 2022 and into 2023, a lot of money went into technology because it had underperformed. Financials have been waiting their turn for 
some time. And with a more supportive interest rate environment and a more uh, and more certainty around interest rates, I think that's where you start to get perhaps some lift for financials. But it is an interesting dynamic, just given the fact that I wouldn't say anybody came out of that earnings season really excited about the prospects. We're always asked about the financial sector. Yeah. And I think immediately people think of banks and regional banks. Sure. Mm-hmm. And there is so much underneath the financial sector that the viewers can find opportunity in. If anyone has uh, gone out to try and get insurance, you see what premium costs are. So therefore, what is Chubb doing? What is Allstate doing? Progressive, Travelers, all up double digit performance so far year to eight. Private equity doing incredibly well. KKR, Apollo Management, near all-time highs. If you look at the capital markets, look at the exchanges like ICE or some of the brokerage platforms like Interactive Brokers. These are where the opportunities are in the financial sector. And then, oh, by the way, there's always Visa and MasterCard. That's true. And insurance has done very, very well and has certainly been a big boost for this, even last year. Yeah, maybe not the sexiest stocks to talk about, but I think (laughs) there's definitely value there and certainly some opportunity. We've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but let's dig deeper now because, of course, this other big test for the market does come next week when NVIDIA reports. And today, there's this new batch of bullish street commentary ahead of that print. So Christina Partzinevelis joins us now with the details. Christina, go through what, uh, what all these bulls are saying ahead of actually getting the numbers. The big question today is who has the bigger price target and today it is loop new street at 1200 bucks that's 65 percent upside from yesterday's close there's others that threw an 850 today oppenheimer they think and this is a loop they think nvidia will not only beat expectations but, but will provide more upside to its full fiscal year 2025 estimates because they are at the front end of this gpu generative ai cycle yes there is competition and they believe that it's still far out enough that nvidia will benefit from uh, the first mover advantage. Analysts also writing, we're going to party like it's 1995 with the dot-com bubble, you know, coming just a few years later. So is that a good sign I to know, put that right? as the title of your like, note? Do we like I that? Don't I don't know. I don't know. Um, but especially when NVIDIA's share price has literally climbed $542 in just one year alone. And we can't speak of price appreciation without bringing up Supermicro, the real winner this year. Its share price has gone from $95 to over $1,000 at yesterday's close. It's down today on an equal-weighted report from Wells Fargo, pointing out to some competition um, from competitors. The stock is down 12%. This is a company that designs server racks and storage clusters. It's known for power efficiency, all the more important when we're building up these large language models. But Supermicro is reliant on NVIDIA. Wells Fargo points out that 68% of total Q2 purchases came from NVIDIA in 2024. Another big customer could be CoreWeave for Supermicro, which NVIDIA is a big backer. You notice how everybody's, everybody's connected, connected back yeah. to NVIDIA? And last but not least, I have to keep the theme going, right? Speaking of NVIDIA, ARM share price has right. soared as well, counts NVIDIA as an AI investor, as an investor. ARM makes the designs for chips found in everything from computers, phones, uh, fridges, you name it. And they say that they're going to benefit from all of these products shifting over to the AI revolution, but that shift hasn't necessarily started yet, but the price appreciation in this stock has just skyrocketed. And I think look that's that the chart. theme. I mean, look at this. That is, and I, Joe, you briefly maybe mentioned it today or previously, that theme that it's not, it's, forget the beat 
on the earnings, the current cycle, or even the following cycle guidance. But it's just like, what are they going to say about growth in, you know, the next year, two years? We need that sustainability to keep that conviction in the market for yep. this AI trade. And that's what NVIDIA can show us next week. So much hanging on that report. Bill, I know you don't own NVIDIA, but you do own ARM. Oh, I do own NVIDIA. Oh, you do it's own actually NVIDIA. our number, okay. uh, my number four position. Oh, thank you for correcting. Uh, okay. right. it's, been, it's been a big leader of ours uh, for a while, and we've had to kind of just work through managing that from a, from a portfolio standpoint. And, it, and we cut it by a third ahead of AMD's earnings, and it's right back into number oh four. Gosh. It went down to number nine, now it's number four. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm excited for these earnings. I, I think, though, when it comes to if everybody's expecting something, we've continued to see price targets rise and rise and rise. It creates and feeds speculation, and that speculation needs to unwind. And again, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but I'm looking at the, the call skew here. There's a lot of calls being purchased. People sell those calls. Uh, the market makers do. And those things have to start to unwind once that risk is known of earnings. If it's not an absolute blowout. But even if it is a blowout, I think some of that could unwind and we go through a consolidation similar to what we had after August. But, you know, overall, though, I, I don't think it just I don't think it derails the, the entire play here. I think the AI play is going to continue to to build as the as the year unfolds. We do own arm as well. And it's a small position in arm to start. And, and, it, and right away it, it took off. I'm more or less just kind of waiting for this to consolidate. I, you know, I know there's a lot of speculation out there about ARM with the, the I think it's a March 12th uh, lockup period that ends for, for holdings. Bank, yeah. And, yeah, it's off bank. And, and I think some of that is, is something that you have to be aware of in some of these stocks like, like an ARM or if you're watching a super microcomputer, the volatility that these things happen. And, and it's just to continue to fuel a lot of speculation. But it's important to manage your risk and know what you're expecting about out of this. And that's why we're positioning sizing in something like ARM small enough that we can withstand the volatility, but we plan to hold it for three to five years. I think that thing could 4x over that time, if not more. Wow. How are you managing? So, you have both in the in your Joe well, From an industry perspective, semiconductors are by far our largest holding. Okay. We're, we're, we're momentum-based and we're tracking also quality as a factor. So yeah, semiconductors <laughs> are going to be right up there. Um, I think first in the case of, of, of Supermicro, it could be a little bit of both arguments. It can be, yes, they have the relationship with NVIDIA, so that's a fundamental catalyst. Then it also can be what Mike Santoli's done a great job talking about the last several days, a little bit of a return to that speculative behavior that we saw in 2021. And keep that in mind, because the IWM ETF, which is equally weighted, right now, wherever IWM is going to trade is where Supermicro is going to take it, because Supermicro uh, super is 1% of that actual ETF, whereas the rest of the holdings are only 35 basis points. So you have to keep that in mind. In the case of NVIDIA, where it sits right now, obviously we have ownership. I would not put fresh capital into NVIDIA at this price. NVIDIA could go to 1,000. At some point, you'll be able to find the dip. You'll be able to get the opportunity if you have fresh capital to put into NVIDIA. But I don't think that defeats overall What's a really strong story for semiconductors? Mm. And you saw that last night with Applied Materials. Oh, yes. I mean, they are the largest semi-equipment maker in the United States. You had some insight from KLA Corp and from LAM Research. It was going to be good. And for the dynamic random access memory chips, this demand from China was incredibly strong. And the outlook, to your point, 
they were confident that that's going to continue. But Christina, not everyone is like Loop Capital with a 1,200 price target. I think you said Oppenheimer up to two. But there are other analysts yeah. that are like, hey, look, we, we could go the other way. Oh, there's, What's the there's no sell, Nobody's saying sell this company sure. or anything like that. So let me start with that. But I think there's a little bit more caution, Bank of America, as an example, uh, just because they don't believe that the upside will be as big as it was previously. I think last quarter, 10, 11 percent. The quarter before that, a 22 percent beat. So it's really hard to keep that momentum. And the other concern, too, is supply. So, you know, there might be a cap on how high NVIDIA can come out with this earnings report because of the supply constraints, which bodes well for the following quarters, but puts a limit. So should that be the case, and you mentioned the options market playing a big role with NVIDIA, we could see a downtick. On the upside for our viewers to know, on average, NVIDIA tends to trade 6 percent higher after the big AI event, which is happening March 18th. And this is on an average of a six-year range. So that could be an opportunity if investors are looking, hey, the stock drops post-earnings, there's going to be another catalyst just a few weeks later. I like that a lot. I think that's a really, really great way to look at things. Uh -huh. If you get this unwind of, of a lot of speculation, a lot of disappointment, if you will, from people that have been buying NVIDIA over the past couple of weeks, and then this thing unwinds a little bit, and then you can now speculate again ahead of, ahead of their conference. Speculate, though, right? Yeah, Keyword. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so much going on here. Christina, thanks for being here. Obviously, you're going to keep us on our toes next week here, oh, yeah. too. Thank you very much. Well, coming up, we're tracking the trades. Bill adding to one big bank and trimming an energy name. We'll debate the moves. Halftime, back in two. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. back on halftime. Let's hit some committee moves. Bill, you bought more shares of BNA. I know we sort of teased uh, the financials earlier, but tell us why you did this with Bank of America. I've been planning to add more to Bank of America for really weeks, and you kind of hmm. waiting once we got through this uh, earnings report. But the problem was, that with the Fed expectations, they were looking for rate cuts too soon, and, and now the, the 10-year yield has risen back up to 4.3. I think it's appropriate to start looking at it, because when the 10-year yield rises, Bank of America has traded poorly. Hmm. But one thing I like to see this week was the yield rise 
And then Bank of America actually traded really well. So that was that was my catalyst to really kind of push into that. Um, I, I think net interest income is, is going to be something that continues to improve. Maybe the fact the way it traded here is because of the New York Community Bank and all the negativity uh. about some of the regionals that's now been flushed out. And now the Bank of America is, doesn't have those sort of handcuffs on it, which I like that quite a bit. And that was my catalyst and really pulling the trigger now. Wait a second. You're a futures trader, so you follow momentum. Why not City? Why not JP Morgan? Why not Wells? That's where the, the momentum is the last week. I agree with you. And JP Morgan is setting highs. And we do own JP Morgan. I think, and, and I've talked about when we added JP Morgan at the fourth quarter, was, you know, I want to have the exposure in case Bank of America doesn't come out of the hole. But I think Bank of America can outperform a bit here and play a catch up trade. And that's sort of what, what I'm looking at from that angle. Huh. Okay. You also bought more Tesla. Yes. Yeah. Why now? Why here? Uh, we talked about it, uh, I think it was last week on the show when I, before I, I got into the trade. I think it bottomed out, it held a technical level of support. And like Joe just said, I, I'm, a, I'm a futures trader. And when, when things don't continue to go lower and they respond to technical support, that was my signal to get in. And the market has started to turn. I think the negativity, I highlighted that last week, the negativity here has really peaked around Tesla. Um, and it's really started to break out of a, a little bit of a consolidation pattern through yesterday's trade. I, I think they'll figure this. You see SpaceX being moved to to uh, Texas from, from Delaware. Uh, I wonder what they'll do with Tesla. I, I think that uh, that would probably move. Start to work through some of this compensation package from Elon. I still wouldn't be surprised to see Elon himself buy stock uh, and increase his position. But once they kind of work through some of this that, that's been going as a headwind, I think Tesla can can start to trade a bit higher. You're shaking your head. You no, don't I'm think just, the negative news didn't work down? No, I, I, I'm shaking my head because on, on the first uh, business day of February, I came onto the network and I said we added Tesla oh. to the ETF. Oh, uh-huh. Discretionary Joe would not have added. Tesla to the ETF. We added it at, I think, 186. Non-discretionary Joe added it, and non-discretionary Joe seems to be right right now. So you, you follow the rules. You don't follow your intuition, because I thought Tesla was going to break down below 175. Discretionary Joe, I like that. I'm cautious, Courtney. Not with trading, just life in general. Okay, finally, Bill, you trimmed Chenier? Yeah, Chenier's been a, a holding that we throttle in and out of quite a bit, and it's been in the top 10 before, which is which says a lot about my, my love for this name and this stock, but here's the problem. You know, first, the good thing is they don't get paid on the price of natural gas. They get paid on shipping volume. And they're, they got a foothold in that space right now because these export bans that are building out for years to come, I think that will get resolved. But the fact that they're not resolved, it became the last shoe to drop for natural gas. And I do fear here from a momentum standpoint, when you see a market, especially a commodities market, sell off in the manner that natural gas has sold off recently, you usually don't get a bottom until you get a big capitulation. So I don't want to be in a larger position than I should have in, in Chenier, and then the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater if something like that were to happen. So you're not questioning kind of the longer-term tailwinds for natural gas, for LNG yeah. here, because, yeah. I mean, I think we all can admit, even though we're down from September 22 highs, that there is a lot of opportunity yes. in terms of the switch from coal to natural gas, and that, you know, we they will they will benefit from export volumes of that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the supply right now is, is well above, like, the five-year average. It's well above. So right now, there's over oversupplied market and the producers are continuing to produce right now. I mean, they, they need a sort of the industry needs to have a capitulation of, of where they have to shut down the production here for some reason. And, and the lower prices is, could be what maybe a, a, the spot prices at 50 cents. You look at the, some of the future prices going out to March, April, May or above a dollar. If those future prices, those forward contracts start getting below a dollar at some point, that's going to be maybe signal some capitulation here. Joe, you own Valero, but then more energy names in the Joe T. 
Yeah, but we've been reducing okay. uh, the, the weighting towards energy. In fact, we reduced it significantly. Um, one could argue that our exposure to energy was a little bit extreme. It was up around 12%. We're down to right now 6% energy holding. Um, so we're still technically slightly overweight energy, but energy has not performed over the last 12 months and we've responded accordingly there. Shannon, what about energy more broadly? Where do you sit right now? So I think, you know, similar to my comments about LNG, I mean, I think longer term, we really do think that there's a, you know, going to be a supply-demand mismatch that supports that. However, you know, I think if you look at how energy prices have traded, um, they really have been range-bound. And that doesn't necessarily correlate uh, directly to stock price performance in the energy sector. But until you start to get a sense of either increased demand from China or perhaps some upward pressure on energy prices from geopolitical concerns. I, I think that there's going to be a generally, you know, this is sort of the end of the line in terms of that broadening out. There just isn't a lot of enthusiasm for the sector in, this, in, in sort of the general public right now. Let's just point out one thing as we talk about all this oil, spot oil, $79, approaching back towards 80. So we're going back to some levels we haven't seen since early fall. Yeah, and as, and as a sector, energy actually third best performer here today, up about six-tenths of a percent. Well, up next are calls of the day. Trade desk rallying on some strong earnings plus bullish calls on Eli Lilly and Palo Alto. But first, a quick message as CNBC celebrates Black Heritage Month. There is always this sense that you are not complete and your journey is not complete unless you are also giving back and you are helping others accomplish their, their goals in life and that you are making sure that you keep a connection with the community. Um, that is one of the things that I treasure most um, about my journey and that I treasure most about our heritage. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Pippa Stevens with your latest headlines. President Biden is expected to speak momentarily to make a statement on the reported death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. This says global leaders and officials quickly condemned the news of the opposition leader's death, with many blaming the Russian government and even Vladimir Putin himself. Twenty major tech companies have signed an agreement to combat the use of artificial intelligence tools in this year's elections. Companies including Microsoft, X, Google and OpenAI signed the agreement today at the Munich Security Conference to work together to create tools that will detect and address AI content designed to deceive voters by providing transparency and creating awareness through educational campaigns. And Egypt is building a wall near its border with the Gaza Strip, according to satellite images from Maxar Technologies. The fortification comes ahead of a planned Israeli offensive targeting the city of Rafah, where currently over one million Palestinians reside. Egypt has said it will not allow any refugees from Israel across the border. Courtney, back to you. Thank you very much, Pippa. 
Let's get to our calls of the day, starting with Trade Desk, the stock soaring on earnings, and BMO naming it a top pick today. Joe, you own this in the Joe T, uh, the, uh, the, your ETF. You added it last April, so I guess you're probably pretty happy with the performance. Well, very happy about what we're witnessing today, and it's a reversal of a lot of negativity that we've experienced in this stock. Um, last April, when it was added at $64, there was very strong follow-through into July. The stock got up to about $91. And then you had this November earnings debacle. The stock fell from 76 down to 61. There was significant concerns surrounding the video ad market, in particular with Amazon and, and Alphabet. The, the outlook for the company was not one that was a confident one. And the stock has significantly underperformed. So this was a make or break quarter. Mm. And they really stepped forward here and restored what they historically have given, which is the beat and raise. The confidence seems to come back once again. You see the response in the market, the analyst community um, applauding it. 27 buys, uh, uh, rather 25 buys, seven holds three sales, and the average 12-month price target was taken higher from 77 yesterday up to 92 today. Yeah, it looks like uh, BMO's price target at 107. They say the ad tech company's earnings report should silence the bears. So we'll see. Good for you for adding that in April. Hopefully you've enjoyed a nice run from that. Well, what about Eli Lilly? I mean, could this be the first $1 trillion biopharma stock? That's what Morgan, Morgan Stanley saying. The bank boosting its price target for Lilly to 950 from 805. Joe, you own this one as well. It, it trades like a biotech. So it's uh, $741 billion is the market cap currently. It reported on February sixth strong quarter the response to earnings has been nothing but positive the stock has not corrected at all since that earnings report and really right now the the catalyst for this stock is the momentum funds that are going in and buying it and why is that so important because those momentum funds have a five percent weighting now to Eli Lilly. So that's a powerful force uh, that's continuing to push this stock higher. But let's remember, it's being pushed higher now on that momentum. But the fundamentals are clearly in place from a company that really trades like a biotech. Yeah, and Shannon, obviously, there's just been so much attention made on these GLP-1 drugs. And Eli Lilly, of course, a beneficiary, but so are many others. I mean, if you're looking to put some cash to work in this space, in healthcare, or maybe you could span, expand it out to biopharma, what would you suggest? Well, I think this has, it feels to me very much like the cholesterol drug franchises that we experienced, yep. like with Lipitor and Pfizer and um, all of the other drugs that were put out at that time, and, and uh, as well as the addressable market. I mean, it's a very large addressable market. I think the difference with Lilly, and I would speak to, you know, some of the comments that Joe just made, is the pipeline. You know, they've got Alzheimer's, they've got eczema, they've got ulcerative colitis. They have other really strong drugs in their pipeline. They're operating, they're trading like a biotech, but they're also, from an incubation perspective, really thinking about their pipeline in a biotech-type way. And so I think that if you're looking to get exposure to this and then you're also looking for something outside of the obesity franchise, I think that's why you're also seeing from a fundamental mm. perspective investors really interested in, in Lilly. True, obviously. A lot, a lot more there than just obesity. Mm. It's just grabbing a lot of the attention right now. So let's turn next to Palo Alto. Two bullish calls on this one today, both Wells Fargo and Wedbush raising their price targets. Wedbush, Dan Ives. So the golden age of cybersecurity is at the doorstep and Palo Alto is leading the way. Joe! You again. You got this one, too. But cybersecurity is, is mandatory. I mean, it's a, literally a necessity for the enterprise space. And what, what's positive for Palo Alto in that conversation is that they are in the areas of cybersecurity which are 
necessity driven. It's not as if it's cyclical spending that's going to come and go. The majority of the business model for Palo Alto is related to that necessary spending from the enterprise space. So cybersecurity is obviously a favorable theme uh, from universally everyone in the marketplace right now. I have exposure through Palo Alto and through CrowdStrike. Mm. I did tri uh, trim CrowdStrike. Uh, you have to acknowledge, again, these are two stocks in a marketplace that's technically overbought. These are two stocks that identify as being overbought as well. So that's something you have to keep in mind going into the report. Yeah, exactly. The report is on Tuesday, February 20th. And of course, the market closed on Monday. Bill, what do you make in this space, Palo Alto or cybersecurity in general? You know, I, I had a little bit of a misread on it. So from, from the idea of, you know, there's only a finite amount of capital when you build out a portfolio. I really leaned into some other, other sides of tech and I did not ride this cybersecurity. One of my fears is as the, the hyperscalers, the larger, big mega cap stocks like a Microsoft and Alphabet and Apple, what, are the, what other places are they going to start eating people's lunch? And I was fearing that Microsoft is going to really get a, a foothold in the cybersecurity space. And I still think that's very possible. I, you know, I, Palo Alto and CrowdStrike have, have performed very, very well. And uh, I didn't doubt that they could. Uh, but, but overall, it was, it was something I would kind of stay out of. But we own Lidos Technology, defensive mm. tech company. Oh, that's right. And just to place that. it into context, the price of Palo Alto is 30% above its 200-day moving average. That is beyond extreme. Yeah, well, that's a big one. Well, coming up, Mike Santoli, he joins us with his Midday Word halftime report. We'll be right back. Francisco Fed President Mary Daly speaking in Washington. So let's get right to Steve Leisman. He's got the headlines. Hi, Steve. What do we think? Hey, Courtney. Yeah, another voter, another Fed official saying that the Fed needs time to make its call on whether to cut rates. She says the Fed needs to resist the temptation to react quickly. The Fed is seeking price stability, quote, built to last. The progress on inflation, she says, is not a victory in and of itself. And she goes on to say the Fed has more work to do. This is echoing calls by Atlanta Fed President uh, Raphael Bostic this morning on CNBC and other Fed officials making the same kind of comments. Among the risks, she says, out there, she says inflation progress has been remarkable, but has not yet achieved price stability. Among the risks is that the positive inflation momentum may, be, may prove hard to sustain. Over time, the inflation decline results from both improvements in the supply chain and slowing demand. But those supply chain improvements, they could prove to be near the end. There's a risk, she said, includes slower inflation progress along with labor market weakness. We're talking about risks on both sides of the mandate there. She's uncertain whether better productivity numbers would continue and disruptions in the Red Sea and the Panama Canal could be a source of new shocks to the economy. The ongoing economic momentum is a risk to inflation progress, she says. So, Courtney, um, the Fed is out there very monolithically talking in one in one voice, which is that they need more time to figure out whether or not it's time to cut interest rates. Yeah, interesting to hear from from two of the speakers here today. Very, very good stuff, Steve. Thank you so much. Let's bring in our own Mike sure. Santoli here. Mike, obviously the market's sort of ticking higher, shaking off that PPI report perhaps after it did with the CPI report, though I guess it took a session a bit a session longer to do so. And now we have a reiteration of what we heard from Rafael Bostic here from Daily. What do you make of it? For all? sure. And really, Courtney, for weeks we've had this real world experiment on did the stock market need rate cuts soon and lots of them thereafter to 
sustain the current levels? And the answer was no so far. Um, it's interesting to hear uh, Mary Daly present economic momentum as one of the upside risks to inflation. So that's your explanation for why the market could say, all right, we can wait if, in fact, it's because the economy's hanging in there. Obviously, the disaster would be if the strong economic numbers are a head fake and all of a sudden things weaken and the Fed's not ready to help. So I think we're okay with that. Plus, earnings coming through six or seven percentage points better than forecast in the fourth quarter, I think, gives us something to work with. I'll concede that I think it's a little surprising that the stock market's been as tenacious as it has kind of sticking near the highs this week. It felt like it could just grab on one of these uh, inflation reports as an excuse to back off in a more pronounced way than we did one day in 1.4%. Yeah, exactly. It could grab on one, let alone three of them. We had three economic reports that were off expectations. Mike, thank you so much. Well, up next, the desk is getting ready to grade your trades. We have questions on Uber, Cisco, and more. Halftime is back after this. Welcome back. It's time for Grade My Trade. Joe, you're up first. William sent in this question this week. He writes, quote, I purchased Arista Networks after selling Cisco. How would you grade this trade? I, that, that's 100 with some extra credit, maybe an A-plus. <laughs> nice. Is there anything higher some than A-plus? stars. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, this, this, this is the, the, the right move we've owned in the ETF um, ANAT since January of 21. So it's better part of three years. In April, we bought Cisco. Cisco, obviously, abysmal yesterday after that earnings report. And what are you getting with Arista? You're getting the cloud infrastructure AI networking build out. And that's been one of the reasons why that stock has had such great appreciation. All the big buzzwords. Okay, so up next for Bill. One viewer bought Uber months ago at an average cost of 35 bucks. Is it time to trim? Bravo. I mean, it's an A-plus. Gold stars has it all there. <laughs> but, yeah, you've hit a double here. I, I think, though, if you look at a portfolio as a whole, you want to make sure that it's it, not one stock could take it down if some adverse news happened. Not that we think it would, but, yeah, Uber's built up a be a large portion of our portfolio and, and right around our top five. You know, I think managing that and the expectations that you have from here is important. You know, personally, though, I, I do own calls on Uber and think that this thing can continue, can go higher, but managing it from here is important. So. And finally, to Shannon, John sold the Wisdom Tree Dividend Growth ETF at 71.71 and reinvested into the S&P Dividend ETF. How would you grade that trade? I'll give it a B plus. Uh, okay. Maybe a little bit early um, because we haven't, re- again, we haven't seen interest rates come down. But if you think about these, the, both of these ETFs, they both look at stocks that have growing dividends. However, SDY is weighted based on yields. So you get a slightly higher yield, which will become more attractive as yields on the, on the cash side come down. Okay, some pretty good grades there. Final trades coming up on Halftime. We're back. It's already time for final trades. Bill, you're up first. Uh, Lidos, Lidos, L-D-O-S, it is breaking out, trying to break out above its 2020 high. Great earnings report this week. Shannon. Utilities, shorter-term trend on rotation, longer-term trend on secular tailwind for electrification. Joe, bring us home. Bulk of materials. All right, that does it for halftime. We're out of time. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.